When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will, too, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. And if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. In Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob, and I'm the preaching minister here, uh, but I'm not going to do a whole lot of preaching this morning. Instead, I just want to tell you four stories. Story number one. Number one is a story about a king named Ahaz. Ahaz is wringing his hands, and he's pacing back and forth. He's worried because he's got this kingdom to protect. But he found out that two kings from the north 
decided that they would create an alliance, and they were going to attack his kingdom. And he's thinking, oh, no, they're going to overpower me. I'm going to be in trouble. I can't protect my people. What are we going to do? King Ahaz is in the city of Jerusalem, which is a pretty good city, and it's on a hill. And if you have to defend a city, there's benefit to being on a hill uh, in a defensive position. But there's also disadvantages to being on a hill when you're under siege. One of those is just how you're going to get water. Water as a resource is something that you have to go to get, but if you're surrounded, you're going to be in trouble. So, in this story, we find King Ahaz going up to his aqueduct, as Justin mentioned in the reading just before. And this is where the prophet of God, Isaiah, meets up with him. He's at the aqueduct, and he's checking his water supplies. He's trying to figure out how much of a siege his city can withstand. And he's concerned about being conquered. But the word of the Lord comes to him and says, you know what, that thing that you're worried about, it's not even going to happen. You should stop pacing. You should stop wringing your hands. You should stop worrying about this because it's going to come to absolutely nothing at all. You are going to be fine. God says to Ahaz, trust me, I've got you. The story continues. Uh, Ahaz is not a good king. He's doing his best, and he probably cares about the city that he's defending. But he's recorded in Scripture as being a bad king. And this is, this is kind of funny. In Scripture, if you go to the book of First and Second Kings, it, it gives you the, kind of this, this list of kings, who they were, and what they did. But it introduces them as they were either a good king, and they did what the Lord asked them to do, or they were a bad king, and they ignored the advice of the Lord. And Ahaz, like so many of the other kings of Israel, was a bad king. God told him, don't do anything. You're concerned about what you should do. I'm telling you, trust me. Don't do anything. And it's true what the Lord says. The two kings that were making an alliance to attack them, they ended up not doing that because they were conquered by another nation, this, this mighty nation we've talked about, Assyria, that came in and took care of that problem. But what not-so-great King Ahaz decides to do is go and make an alliance with the king of Assyria. He doesn't trust in the Lord's protection. He wants a guarantee. And he goes and gets that. And over the course of time, not only does Assyria conquer these two northern nations, but Ahaz loses his throne. Israel will be conquered. Judah will be conquered. And we know the rest of the story. But that's King Ahaz. Story number two is the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph was engaged. He was a righteous man. He was ready to be married. He was betrothed to this young woman. And then he finds out that she's pregnant. And he thinks back and goes, hmm, I know it's not my baby. So that just leaves some not very preferable possibility. But again, Joseph is a righteous man. He's well within his rights, within the Jewish law, to expose the sin of his fiance, and to have her punished. But instead, he says, you know what, let's just break it off. He has it in mind. He's going to divorce her quietly. She'll go her separate way. He'll go his separate way. We'll pretend like this whole thing never happened. And he gets a word from the Lord as well. Angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, I know what you're thinking about doing, and I want you to do something different. You're thinking about divorcing her quietly, and that seems like the right thing to do, but I'm telling you, what I want you to do is stick with her. 
because she is pregnant, but her pregnancy is from the Holy Spirit. God has a plan here. I'm at work in this situation. God says to Joseph as well, trust me, I've got you. And Joseph does a little better than Ahaz because he does what God asks him to do. He takes the, the boy, he raises him as his own, he goes through with the marriage, and we know the rest of the story. Story number three is a story about a father and a son. And the father tells the son, son, I want you to go outside, and I want you to do your chores. And the son says, but I don't want to go outside and do my chores. And the father says, well, be that as it may, I need you to go outside and do your chores. And the son says, but I really don't want to. If I go outside and do my chores, it might hurt. It might give me blisters. I might even bleed if I do my chores. And the worst part about going outside and doing my chores is that I can't be inside here with you. Maybe he's trying to butter him up. I think that would probably work on me with my daughters if they pulled that line. But the father says, son, I need you to go outside, and I need you to do your chores. So the son says, okay, I'll go. He's heading outside to go and do his chores, and the father says to the son, son, one more thing. Yeah, what is it? Trust me, I've got you. Now the son, in this story, his name is Jesus. And the father, we know, and we know as well that the chores that he asked his son to do were not maybe the chores that we had in mind. Yard work, straightening up the playroom. It was a different kind of uh, set of chores that this father called his son to do. And the son was right. It did cause him pain. It did cause him separation from his father. It was not something that he wished to do, but it was something that he was willing to do. He trusted the father. When the father said, trust me, I've got you, the son believed him. And he did what needed to be done. I think about this story and think, I, I wouldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. Maybe I didn't have the same trust in the father that the son has. And I, I wonder, how did he get such a complete, such a strong, uncompromising trust in his father? Story number four is the story about a man who has two children, and he finds out that his wife has lung cancer. He says, okay, well, let's do what we need to do. Get her checked out, get her treated, start her on some chemo, take care of this. And uh, the treatment begins, and everything that goes along with that, the... Uh, cancer goes away. And everybody says, yay! Praise God. The church celebrates. Family jumps for joy. But then the cancer comes back, and it gets worse, and it spreads, and his wife dies. Story number four is the story about a young woman who just begins a new job, a new career, teaching fourth grade, and finds out that she has breast cancer. This was unexpected, which is not what we had hoped for. 
she went through treatment, uh, disrupted her life in a number of ways. It was grueling, it was uncomfortable, it was expensive, and her cancer goes away. And the church celebrates, and the family jumps for joy. Story number four is also the story about a woman and her husband who celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary by going on a cruise. Two days into the cruise, her husband's out snorkeling. He has a major cardiac event, and he dies suddenly, tragically, and unexpectedly. Story number four is the story about a family who finds out just a few days before Christmas that their young daughter has some unexplained intestinal problem. They find themselves in the emergency room. They find themselves ambulance to the Stanford Children's Hospital. They spend days, nights, weeks in intensive care trying to figure out what's going to happen, praying that she survives. She's five years old, by the way. And she survives, too, by the way. Story number four is our story. Story number four is your story. There are a lot of characters in story number four, and you know a lot of them. But God says the same thing to the people in story number four that he says to the people in stories one, two, and three. God tells these people who look to him in difficult times in story number four, and he says, trust me, I've got you. Trust is a hard thing to give. It's a hard thing to set your watch to. I think a lot of us would prefer to have guarantees in our lives. God says, I'm offering my trust, and we say, I'd rather you give us a guarantee. We operate well in the framework and the, the language of guarantees. We want to know that if we're going to go down a certain road, that if we're going to put ourselves out there, that if we're going to have to endure something, that it's going to be worthwhile in the end. God, can you give us a guarantee? And God says, I'm going to offer you my trust instead. And we go, ah, that's not what we said. We want the guarantee. Trust and guarantees kind of cancel each other out when you think about it. If you have a guarantee, you don't need trust. And if you have trust, you don't need a guarantee. How can we trust in God without a guarantee? How can we trust in God when the endings of the, the different parts of story number four end so differently? And they're so unpredictable so many times. Let's go back to story number three. How was Jesus able to do it? How did he have such a trust in his father that he would, was willing to go all the way to the cross and sacrifice his life, go all the way to the tomb, go all the way to the depths of hell and darkness to take on the sins of the world and trust that when God said, trust me, I've got you, he would come out on the other side. Not just okay, but better than ever. How do we get that kind of trust? Well, we can look to what Jesus did. I think it has something to do with the relationship that he had 
with God the Father. Not just because he was the Son of God, that he was God in flesh. I mean, I'm sure that didn't hurt building that trust. But he was intentional about his relationship with his Father. He developed that trust over the course of his life and with his daily actions. That's something for us to consider, something for us to think about. Jump back to story number two. Joseph was told, go with Mary. Take her as your wife. Raise the son that she's pregnant with. And you get to name him too. You don't get to choose his name. I'm going to tell you what his name's going to be. His name is going to be Jesus because he's going to save the sins of his people. Now, when Joseph heard that, he would have gone, oh, I see what you did there. But we, we might miss it because we're not as familiar with the name Jesus, and especially in its original language, what it meant. Jesus, or Yeshua, in its religious language, literally means Yahweh will save. Jesus walked around every day of his life with that reminder of God's faithfulness. This was part of him developing trust in his Father. Yahweh will save. He didn't have a concept of God. God saves. Oh, of course, God saves. It was not this general God or this general concept of, of goodness or a creator or this benevolent divine force that sometimes interacts and sometimes doesn't. It was a specific thing. It was God's proper name, Yahweh. Not just any God, not just God in the broad sense, but Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob the God of Isaiah, the God of Moses, the God of Jesus, the God of Brett, the God of Deanna, the God of the Spinkas, the God of the Garzas. This God saves. Yahweh will save. We want him to save now. We want him to save today. We want the guarantee. We don't get the guarantee. We get the promise, which requires trust. Yahweh will save. We've been in a series called Advent, in a season called Advent. Advent is a word that means the coming, focusing on the coming of the Messiah, coming as God in the flesh when Jesus was born, but also this, this resolution of what God has been working on throughout time, throughout history. The second coming of Christ, the, the restoration of all things. We waited for the coming of Jesus, now we're still waiting. We find ourselves in this period of waiting. And we've acknowledged that waiting is hard, and it requires endurance, and it requires us not to give up on hope. It requires us to understand what it is we believe in. And today I just want to point out that it requires trust. We are waiting. The cool thing about Advent, well, is that it ends in Christmas, and yay, Christmas. That's pretty exciting. But the cool thing about Advent and Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and these built-in festivals and celebrations and reminders of God's faithfulness built in to our calendar is that they refocus us. Kind of like Jesus having the name God Will Save we come face to face with this reminder. God has a track record that can be trusted, that God is faithful. 
and that we're going to continue to set our minds and our hearts on this truth, this promise that Yahweh will save. God instructed his people, Israel, to stop working once a week, and they had the Sabbath. He told them, take a week off work, pretty often, every six or eight weeks. I want you to have a festival. And the Jewish people set their lives, the rhythms of their lives were set by the calendar of the festivals. So before you knew it, man, now it's Passover. Before you know it, now we're celebrating the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Before you know it, it's the Ninth of Av. Before you know it, it's Purim. And, and we're celebrating and we're, we're being reminded of God's faithfulness. It was built in again and again and again. It was kind of like the clock for them. And the Christians picked up on this tradition with the Christian calendar, the festivals that we celebrate, or in some cases that we are not aware of. But they're this reminder that I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to believe God when he says, I will save. And I'm going to let my life revolve around that. I'm going to let that be my calendar. So we've been in Advent, and it's been this reminder of us, of this, this waiting, this expectation. And then in a couple days, we get to celebrate Christmas, which reminds us how important it was that God became like us so that we could become like him. And in Jesus Christ, God saved us. I want us to think about our other clocks and our other calendars and our other rhythms of life. I think sometimes we, we go, well, I've got my work hours. I've got my, my kids' school schedule. I've got my, my bill payment schedules, and they're automated, and those are all taking place. And, and we can set our lives to these things, and we do. But we shouldn't forget the rhythms of faithfulness because they are a faithful reminder to us of these truths that we're stopping and looking at. That God will save. That God is faithful. That God is trustworthy. When we ask ourselves that question, I want the answer to come more quickly. And have it not be based on our circumstances or how the week went or how the year went. But let's take a longer view of how God works, and look back to story number one, where God asks Ahaz to trust him. Trust me, I've got you. I'm a God who saves. Wait, but Ahaz lost his throne? Israel got conquered, then Judah got conquered, the people went into exile. The reason we're talking about Advent is because the people waiting for the Messiah. Isaiah would have had to wait 700 years for Jesus to come. And then Jesus came, and a lot of good things happened, but a lot of people had to wait a lot longer, and we're still in this process of waiting. When does the waiting stop? I don't know. If I had guarantees, I'd give them to you. But I don't. I have a trust in God. And my story is, whatever my circumstances here, if my prayers are answered the way I want them to be answered, if they're not things are good, if things are not good, I'm putting all my chips on one square. And it's the promise that Yahweh will save. And I want to invite you and encourage you to do the same thing. In our lives, we tend to, we, we find that God calls us into trusting him. He invites us to entrust things in our lives to him, like our our stuff, 
and our time and our health. But what we do instead is we kind of flip that around and we put our trust in those things instead of God. And you don't have to look very far to realize that our stuff, our health, our time, these things are slowly, or in some cases not so slowly, running out. But God is the God of Ahaz, the God of Joseph, he's the God of Jesus, he's the God of the people of story number four. So we're called to trust in him. We're going to do that together. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we love you. I thank you for stories of faith. I thank you that there's so much nativity happening. I thank you that we're hearing the story of Jesus and Mary and Joseph. I thank you that it's a reminder of what you can do. Thank you for stories of faith that we hear in the church. Thank you for the faithful men and women who have decided we're going to trust in God. Even when we're tempted not to, even when we're tempted to put our trust in other things, we are going to trust in God. Lord, thank you for that faithful example. Thank you for this community that you have called us into. I want to pray for people right now who have a hard time believing that, who have a hard time trusting you and entrusting their lives to you. You understand suffering. You understand waiting. You understand longing. You are the God who loves your people. And we thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you increase our trust in you. We may have come to the end of our capacity to trust in you. So we ask for your spirit to increase the space in our hearts. Give us a greater trust in you. We want to trust you like Jesus trusted you all the way to the end. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for being a God who saves and a God who will continue to save. Save us, Yahweh. Come, Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.